I'm just going to state the obvious. No one likes to be rejected. No one likes to be rejected, and yet all of you, I am very confident in saying, all of you have experienced rejection at at least one, if not many more times in your lives. And and sometimes it might be the rejection that is not pleasant, but just something we can get over relatively quickly. We, We sometimes use that word in a a pretty common way. We're going we're gonna to see rejection later today. For those of you who are sports fans, in particular college basketball, you know that today is Selection Sunday. And so all of the, the best college basketball teams are eagerly awaiting to know whether they have made the field for the NCAA tournament. 68 teams will, will be chosen. And just because people follow it so closely, you may know that there are a number of teams who are right on the border. They call that the bubble. Will they make it in or won't they? And inevitably they have cameras on the teams as the uh, brackets are being unveiled and you have those with the, the feelings, the elation of knowing they made it and then you have those whose teams the, the bubble burst. They were rejected. Tears come down. That's a form of rejection that you might say, you know, in the long long run, that's really not that important. Well, those players think it is, but you know rejection. I've commented it before, but maybe you guys are ones who have gone through this too. Fifth grade when they are picking teams for kickball and you're the last one picked, you feel kind of rejected. That may have happened to me. I don't remember if it did or not. But um, Never is fun to be rejected. This is the time of year where people start to get acceptance letters for all the different colleges they applied to. And you have your heart so set, I really want to get into this college. And you see the letter come, and you know it's from them, and you open it up only to find out, I was rejected. Or you know socially what it feels like when you're on the outs with a group of people. You thought you were in that tight-knit circle, and then all of a sudden, they're off doing their own thing, and you feel spurned or or rejected, you're on the outside looking in. That hurts. Or maybe you've been rejected by your spouse. Now we're getting serious. No one likes to feel rejected. And when we are, it sends us into a tailspin. It can be uh, anger or depression. It can be bitterness and resentment. And guess what? Jesus went through that too. That is to say, he went through rejection. We're going to see in just a moment a very obvious time in his ministry where he was rejected, honestly, by multiple parties. And you know how he's going to react? 
with compassion. Because that's the Savior that we have. Let me read to you from Luke chapter 13. And then we'll discuss these words, starting with verse 31. At that time, some Pharisees came to Jesus and said to him, Leave this place and go somewhere else. Herod wants to kill you. He replied, Go tell that fox, I will drive out demons and heal people today and tomorrow. And on the third day, I will reach my goal. In any case, I must keep going today and tomorrow and the next day. For surely no prophet can die outside Jerusalem. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often have I longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings? But you were not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate. I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This is the word of our Lord. Jesus knew rejection. He he knew what it was to walk into a room and immediately feel the resistance and, and, and then the rejection. And we see that in this section here. And maybe it's a little subtle at first, but I think you'll understand where I'm coming from when I explain, at that time, it says, some Pharisees came to Jesus and said to him, leave this place and go somewhere else. Herod wants to kill you. So, so remember the name Herod. When you think of Herod, you probably think of Herod the Great. He would have been the Herod who was alive at the time Jesus was born, at the time of, of Bethlehem. He would be the one who tried to kill Jesus as a toddler because he was threatened by his presence in Judea. But when that Herod the Great died, there were four more Herods, all relatives, And they split up that whole region of Israel into four different parts called tetrarchs. Now Jesus is dealing with another one. And it would seem that Jesus was slowly meandering down from Galilee in the north all the way to Jerusalem where he would be giving his life. And it would seem at this time that he was on the other side of the Jordan River in an area called Perea. And there was a Herod or a tetrarch That was over that area. And how bad do things have to be if the Pharisees are warning Jesus? They said, you've been rejected by Herod. You best get out of here. He wants to kill you. You don't like ever being rejected. You don't like being threatened. You don't like knowing that you are on the outs with one of the most powerful people in the area at that time. But Jesus was rejected by Herod. 
Get out of here. But you think what hurt even more wasn't just being rejected by the political leader? It's this thin guise of compassion that the Pharisees were using. You see, they were all too happy to use Herod to be the bad guy. To veil their own resistance and rejection of Christ. Can you imagine the Pharisees with a little bit of a a smirk on their face saying, you know, Jesus, you best get out of here. Herod wants to kill you when we know from the rest of Scripture just how much the Pharisees had rejected Christ. And how convenient would it be for those, 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 those men who had gathered together to, to hide behind the threat of Herod to get rid of their own competition. And Jesus saw right through it the whole time. This is the same Jesus who had been preaching and proclaiming that he was the Messiah. Only to be met with that firm resistance and rejection by so many. What were they afraid of? What was Herod afraid of? Well, we can figure he was afraid of a rabble rouser. He was afraid of one who would would perhaps try to vie for the throne, someone who was becoming popular among the people. But, But I think it wasn't just the authority that scared either Herod or the Pharisees. They were afraid to let Jesus into their hearts. And when we get afraid, we start to resist and we ultimately reject. Because if what Jesus had been saying was true, it totally changes my view of myself and how I want to live my life. And Jesus had been teaching and preaching about the importance of repentance, which is recognizing the sinfulness that affects us all and turning from it to a Savior who offers forgiveness and new life. But that would undermine the Pharisees' spiritual authority. That would have the potential to cause turmoil politically for Herod. And so you can imagine how they were teaming up, using each other to ultimately put the hand out and say, we reject you, go far from here. You're not even the last one picked on the soccer team or the, or, or the kickball team. You, you aren't picked at all, Jesus. Just go. And the problem is, is that we join in the rejection. Do you realize that? The very thing that we have suffered from and has hurt us in our lives, when it comes to Jesus, we so often find ourselves on that side of the equation. We are the ones doing the rejecting. And in case we think that the Pharisees are so far worse than us because they are so subtly hiding behind Herod to get their way, do you realize how subtly we reject Christ on a daily basis? And we resist him? Oh, we get creative in the ways we do it. We know that to reject him outright 
politically wouldn't look very good, especially as members of a congregation. A Christian congregation. We don't want to just denounce the name of Christ and reject him. So what do we do? Our sinful nature wells up in us and we, we simply hold him off at an arm's length. Close enough to say that we're associated with him, but enough space to allow us to do what we want to do and not feel like Jesus is, is breathing down our necks. We reject his complete authority by simply giving him lip service at times and say, yeah, we get it, Jesus. We're trying to get better. We want to do the right thing. We're going to love each other like you say we should. But the rest of your message, which really starts to convict my heart, I'm going to reject that for a while because I want to live life on my terms. And sooner or later, we realize that Jesus knew rejection. And he still knows it. Because so often we are involved in it on a day-to-day basis. So how was he going to react? Well, if you were like us, our sinful nature once again would well up. And how do we handle rejection? We get mad, we want to get even, or we tailspin into depression. But here is where we see that his pain is our gain. Because in the moment that we reject him, in the moment that the Pharisees rejected him, when Herod has rejected him, when the whole sinful world is wanting to reject what Christ comes to offer, we see him react with compassion and commitment to that compassion. It's an amazing display. What does he say? He says, go tell that fox. I will drive out demons and heal people today and tomorrow. And on the third day, I will reach my goal. Yeah, he's talking firmly. He's talking confidently. He is so committed to his cause. And if there is any anger, it's that righteous anger which simply says, I will not be deterred. You ought to reject me and be done with me, but I am on a path for your salvation. And I will not stop. I will reach my goal. It's funny, when we talk about reaching our goals, we're talking about those glorious moments when we can say, it's done, everyone come and bask in my glory. And when Christ is talking about reaching his goal, it's the moment with with arms extended, he says, it's finished. And he's talking about paying the price for your sins. And just because the Pharisees and Herod wanted him out of their territory and rejecting him, he says, nope, I am on a mission And then he explains what's driving him. As Jesus shows his vulnerable side here, he says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you have that reputation, Jerusalem, you who who kill the prophets and stone those who sent you. 
How often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. This is what makes Jesus tick. His compassion for us. The very people who want to keep him not only at an arm's length away, but completely removed. The Pharisees who come from Jerusalem. He's saying, but you are the reasons I came. Jerusalem, I I long for you. I dream about you. I think about you. You are the reason I came. You and the rest of the sinful world. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, do you realize how much I long to gather you together? And he uses an illustration that unfortunately the city slickers that we are, we we, we just don't always see the image. But he's saying those cute little chicks at the sign of fear or danger, they can't get underneath the broad protective wings of their mother fast enough. And he's saying, that's what I want to do. I see danger in your future because I see your sinfulness. I see that you've distanced yourself from me. I see that Satan is on the prowl and he wants to to take you from me. And you don't know how much I just want to, to cover you up with my wings and protect you and bring you back into my fold. I want you to be one with me. I want you to trust in me. And what do you do? You keep rejecting me. But I'm not bitter. I'm committed. And he's saying that to us too. Whereas you and I, we would have simply said, fine, have it your way. Once and for all, I'm sick of it. I'm tired of it. You've hurt my feelings. I'm done with you. Jesus takes his wings and covers us up. That's his compassion for us. And despite the emotional suffering of knowing a world doesn't want him, he's committing to paying the price for the sins of that world that the Holy Spirit might bring us to faith in that payment and gather, be gathered together underneath his protective care. This is the Lord that we have. One who, despite being spurned by us, says, not only will I not leave you alone, but I'm going to actively keep gathering you under my protective care. You can count on my compassion. You never have to worry if I've given up on you. Because I want you to be with me forever You're going to see it in every calculated move I make. My pain is going to be your gain. And so now as we see that love and that commitment, that compassion on display, we have a whole new appreciation for his protective wings in our lives. Do you realize that you're under attack? Yes, even right now. Do you realize that if scripture is true, and yes, it is true, the way it describes the devil himself is that he is a roaring lion looking for people to devour. He's on the prowl. 
and we best take refuge somewhere. Do you want to make the devil mad? Do you want to make him scream out in agony because he can't reach you? Well, then we find refuge in the place that truly provides security and safety underneath our Savior God's wings. And we let him fight the battle for us. Just as he gave us the victory last week when we saw him go toe-to-toe with the devil in the wilderness and defeat those temptations, now we hide ourselves in him because his compassion brings us in and protects us every day of our journey until we are taken to be with him forever. The extent to which the Pharisees understood this is debated. But Jesus is consistent, committed, and compassionate. And so he says, I tell you, you will not see me again. I will leave here momentarily until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Those words were spoken when he would enter Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. He was making sure that they knew, you can reject me now, but I'll be back and I will be carrying out the very thing I need to do to be the savior of this world. And you'll see me again when the children cry out, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, because that is exactly who I am. The one you reject is the one who will be king. Not of this world, but of your hearts. And with that compassionate drive of our Savior, we relent of the very moments we try to distance ourselves from him. And we now safely seek our place of refuge under his gracious care. No more rejection. Acceptance. Acceptance in the care of our God. Amen. And now may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, may it guide your hearts and your minds in Jesus our Lord. Amen.